everyone and welcome back to the girl.gov podcast. I am your host Rachel and today I'm speaking with Manny Thomas III who is the co-executive director and growth coordinator for Success Stories. The Success Stories program's mission is to provide an alternative to prisons that builds safer communities by delivering feminist programming to people who have caused harm. The Success Stories program envisions a world free of prisons and patriarchy as the dominant culture. They build a world where harmful behavior is seen as a symptom of patriarchy to be transformed in the community by the program and others like it. Manny has been a Success Stories facilitator at CTF Prison since 2017. He holds five associate's degrees in multiple disciplines and recently had his sentence commuted by Governor Brown and was found suitable for parole. He was hired as a Success Stories coach and growth coordinator upon his release in October of 2019 and focuses on identifying and securing new sites to deliver the Success Stories program. We're really excited for you to listen to this one, so with that being said, let's get into the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Something we've talked a lot about on this podcast is the importance of mental health and we know firsthand how difficult taking that first step can be. BetterHelp makes that easier by assessing your needs and matching you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and since BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Financial aid is available and you can visit betterhelp.com slash girlgovpodcast, that's better H-E-L-P, and take advantage of the special offer for girl.gov listeners. You can take 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash girlgovpodcast. Thanks again, BetterHelp, for sponsoring today's episode. everyone today we have Manny from success stories this is gonna be a really exciting episode because he's our first male guest so no pressure at all to you Manny but go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and the success stories program yeah so hi my name is Manny Thomas III I am the co-executive director of success stories director of programming success stories is an alternative to punishment we build safer communities by offering feminist programs to people who have committed harm uh, what that looks like is different, and depending on where we're delivering program, we started in the Correctional Training Facility in Soledad in 2014, and we've been de- delivering program there ever since. We became a nonprofit organization in 2019, um, and we've been de- delivering program to outside in the community with schools and other community-based organizations and youth diversion programs. And it's, it's really wonderful. Our mission is to, you know, replace the punishment system. The punishment system that we have right now is only concerned with inflicting harm, right? It's based on in, in patriarchal values, uh, and it's really about the disposability of people. Uh, Success Stories believes that we can give community members what they need while they're still in community rather than subject them to further harm and, and, and isolation. So I think that, that it's important that we continue to share that message because it's the only way that we're going to get to a system that values people as people uh, and gets us to a place where we're really creating a environment, uh, not only a safer environment for our communities, but an environment that is equal regardless of identity. And we'll definitely get into like patriarchal views a little bit later. I think that's a huge conversation that we definitely want to have. But what are some of like the typical conversations in this program? What are some of the core values and the teachings of success stories? Yeah, so some of the core values of success stories is one, integrity. Uh, We believe that in order for it's kind of the answer, right, to some of the toxic beliefs that we, or toxic behaviors we have as men in this culture. Um, it's one of these things that we need to be the same person all the time. We want to get clear about what love is and what love isn't. We want people to become future-based in their thinking. Uh, more importantly, we want people to know not what they say is important to them, but like really, really support what they say is important to them by their behavior. Oftentimes we will say things are important to us, but our behavior doesn't support that. Um, and that's what causes kind of like that cognitive dissonance and, and, and that separation. And we believe that, you know, in order for us to get to a point where we can see the individual success as the community successes, we have to be that one person all the time. So, so success stories really helps individuals like really investigate how certain beliefs dictate their behavior and how that may be harming their communities and themselves. 
I know you said future-based thinking. I think that's kind of goes perfectly into our next question of as far as alumni resources um, that are provided to people after they complete the program. How important is it to the Success Stories program to kind of break that cycle and provide those resources to make sure that future-based thinking is something that everyone can kind of do moving forward after the program is over? Yeah, so we're really excited about our alumni program because we know that you're not going to go through a 12-week program and suddenly everything is just healed, right? We understand, especially when you're you're, you're battling uh, patriarchy and toxic masculinity, right? Like, you're going to have to create a new community of people that help you do do new and positive things, right? Um, So that was like the basis of the alumni program. Like, okay, how do we continue to make sure that people are in community with others who are going to support them doing new things? And like really address some of the needs. So it was one of those things where we kind of just got together, held each other accountable. And through that, we also started to discover, okay, um, there are things that people are going to need. People are going to need other programming and leadership and development. Uh, They're going to need access to, like we have a partnership with Close the Deal. Close the Deal is an organization that like provides suits for for returning citizens um, free of charge. Uh, you know, we work with JT Academy. JT Academy is a, is an organization that helps our participants pass interest exams and oral interviews and personality tests so they can get jobs working with like SoCal Gas or IBEW or Local 11. We have legal assistance because, um, you know, we, we realize that, you know, there are people that are still going to, they're fighting being deported and things of that nature. Schooling, schooling is important. A lot of people realize that they want to continue their education so that they can really get jobs they they love and care about. So a lot of times we work with um, underground scholars and, you know, we work with Homeboy Industries, which also is, it, it provides people with hope and training and support and, you know, others that are gang involved in that way. So it's really just a, a, a good way for us to continue to come at it from different angles so that we're putting people in the best position to live in a healthy and effective way and to do things that are important to them. Um, sometimes when you, when you look at other organizations that just have job placement, you know, you may put a person in a job that they don't, that doesn't really give them meaning. So then, then what happens? They don't want to stay there. So again, with success stories, we're really trying to figure out, okay, what is important to you? What gives your life substance? What's something that you can get involved in that, that feeds your soul so that you'll want to do it day in and day out? And, you know, we work and partner with other people who have that same belief system. Like, hey, let's not just give people jobs, let's give them meaningful jobs. Let's give them, you know, let's give them a tire that makes them feel powerful. And let's give them opportunities that they may not have had if it wasn't for um, some of the relationships that we've been able to create. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like mental health services would is something that is really vital to the alumni resources that you guys provide? Yeah, absolutely. You know, success stories, we've been fortunate because of our social media presence mm-hmm. that we've had, you know, psychiatrists and counselors and people doing breath work uh inspired breath work actually did like a healing hour healing time with us and we we pulled not only our staff but some alumni in and we did some breath work and and yeah they 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 offer counseling which is which is amazing right because um you know a lot of our participants aren't in the position to where they can they can pay for that uh mm-hmm. so to have the community respond in that way and that's what this is about right like it's about we can give each other what we need in order for us to be in the best position. So yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially when we're thinking about some of the trauma that formerly incarcerated individuals have experienced during their time of incarceration. The correctional systems that we have right now, although they are under this guise of public safety, it's not always that. You know, It's definitely not safe for the individuals who are subjected to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I can imagine that that transition can sometimes be difficult. And I think obviously having that support, um, especially from like people within the community and people who can relate and, you know, be that support system. That's super important. I think that's amazing that um, you guys are able to provide that. And um, I really kind of want to get into kind of your personal experience with success stories and how vital it really was for your personal growth and journey. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, when I was first introduced to success stories, it was kind of like, um, it wasn't with open arms. I was in a position at that time of my incarceration. I had been incarcerated for about 11 years already. I, I thought I was really well on my path to change. I had created multiple groups of my own. I had already furthered my education and received multiple degrees. And when a friend of mine, who are one of our founders, Richie, when he asked me, like, 
um, have I ever considered the way in which I view masculinity as hindering me from being the best version of myself? I was kind of like, uh, calm down. I think I'm okay. <laughs> but, you know, there were conversations that we were having about language. Um, you know, I had referred to one of his tattoos as being gay. And he was like, have you considered the fact that the way, like the language that you use furthers the oppression of other people? And I hadn't. Uh, and that was kind of like a, a, kind of an aha moment for me. So I, it, it at least got me to the point where I was interested to say, okay, what else am I not considering, right? And then I also realized when he, when we were talking about patriarchy, I wasn't clear. My experience with patriarchy to that point was just male leadership, right? And I thought it, there was this feeling within myself like that I was going to have to apologize for being a man. And I quickly realized, I think it was within my second week of being part of Success Stories that that's not what we're talking about, right? When we're talking about patriarchy as a system, that's not what we're talking about. There's nothing wrong with male leadership, but you don't get to be a leader just because you're male. And that's a very different thing. Mm -hmm. And then also about what it does culturally to us. Um, we, when we begin a room full of men who did not share the same socioeconomic background, that did not come from the same geographical era, that are not part of the same age group, when we were all sharing sentiments about what we were taught about manhood, uh, like boys don't cry. Um, and, you know, there were certain things that we didn't share um, because of our maleness. When we got to a room and I'm hearing sentiments being echoed that I was taught from other, like it woke me up. There was this need now to go, okay, what else am I missing? And again, when we talk about discovering what's important to you, like there were things that I wrote down that were important to me that if that were true, I would not have been in prison, mm -hmm. right? Like if my behavior was supporting the things that I was saying to me, I would not have been in prison. So it, there was an opportunity there for me to look at it and be like, oh, okay, either I'm going to change what I say was most important to me, or I'm going to change my behavior. And then when we got into talking about toxic masculinity, by realizing what that meant and being willing to change that, like I was getting a power back because I was really playing a part and I was playing a part for so long. When we talk about toxic masculinity, I was being the male that I thought society wanted me to be uh, for so long that I forgot who I was. Uh, and it was really draining. Uh, you know, my mental health suffered. I was doing, you know, maladaptive things. I was, I was self-medicating and stuff like that. So when I was able to get to that point, uh, and I also was, was, was harming some of the most people that I, that I said was, were most important to me. Um, and then when I realized, okay, toxic masculinity is something that I act out in my personal life and patriarchy becomes when society in itself encourages that type of behavior. Like then I started to really be like, oh, there's something big here. And then when you start to really think about like, I had, I had to like redefine what it meant to be a feminist. And I had to really look at like, okay, well, how, how, how am I an ally? And I quickly began to see that the way that I became an ally is having conversations with men so that they could realize in certain, the way that they were acting made women either feel unsafe or it wasn't equal for them to be there, or there was language that they were using that was oppressive. Like, so in my position, even though my experience with it is different than a woman's, I know I can look at my contribution to it, right? And we were inviting other men to look at their contribution to it. So I think that that intersectional idea of how we show up in that way within our group was powerful to me. Um, because before that, it felt helpless, right? Like, I felt like when I was hearing feminism and how I could be an ally and all that, it was like, it felt something like it was beyond me. Like, well, like, what can I do? Like, I'm not the men that you're talking about. So, like, how can I help? I hadn't really considered that sometimes helping is, you know, sometimes the intersectionality is speaking up when you see certain things happening, right? Or, 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 or being that, like, that, that voice. And, that, and what I mean when I'm saying not being the voice in a way where it's like, oh, speak for them because they can't, it's be with them so that you can point out uh, to your counterparts that look, that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable for these reasons. So that, that was huge for me. The first thing that I think about is like corporate America and like being in a meeting, being in a room full of men and men speaking down to you and other men in the room kind of coming up to you afterwards being like, hey, like that's not cool. But it's kind of like, hey, why didn't you say something in the why moment? That could have done a lot more good than coming up to me afterwards and try to make me feel better. Like, and there's like a saying too, is like, when you speak up for one woman, you speak up for all. And it's so true. And I think from what you're saying too, of like, 
you might not realize like the impact that you make when you make those changes and how you're contributing to a bigger problem. But it's so true. Like once one person makes a small change, it does grow into something bigger. Um, and again, like coming from personal experience, having men speak up to you, speak up for you in the moment is so much more powerful than just sitting there and letting it happen. Like it's, it, the smallest thing is just being an ally is saying something in the moment and speaking up for people. And I think that that's like a huge conversation, I think within the last couple of years of like being able to listen and not speaking for people. Um, like what you said, I think that's a really important statement to make because you don't want to speak for people. You want to speak up for them and you want to be there for them and be with them. I think that's, that's a powerful statement in itself. And it's so true. It's important to use your position, right? Like my view now is I have a responsibility using my position. So for instance, if, if, if I'm being honest, right, and I, we're, we're dealing with men that are thinking in patriarchal ways, right, in their frame of thinking, they've already shown that they devalue women in a way, right? So if I know that, and I know that what I have to say because of their belief system is going to carry more weight, I have a responsibility to do so. And it's a self-check. Like I can, I can provide an opportunity for someone to, to, to really look at themselves about how they're showing up. Right. Me saying something can make them question about how they're showing up. It can be the first step to where they may self-justify if if the woman in question was to say something they, you know, you know, it's the, the old additives that we always get. Like, oh, she's aggressive. Um, and, she, you know, all these other things that are far from the truth, simply when women were speaking up for their rights. Right. And, and they're speaking up in a way that's saying, hey, you don't deserve I don't deserve to be talked to like that, nor do you have the right in order to do so. So there, there becomes this dynamic where it's just like, all right, you know, I don't have to attack this person at the moment, but I can use my position. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that I feel like that's like the true spirit of allyship. Mm-hmm. I can use my position to say, OK, no, this isn't cool. This isn't right. And we're not going to do that. And, and again, I think that when, when we're looking at it in that spirit, it's not like I'm trying to quiet the voice of the person who's fighting for themselves. Again, it's one of those things. I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking with you. And I think you, you kind of said it earlier that you kind of had this aha moment before joining the program. But when was kind of like that moment that you realized that dominance should not determine who you respect or being respected? Yeah, really, it was one of those things where it was like, if I was treated in that way, how would it make me feel? Or what would happen if some of the people that I identified in my life that I cared most about were being treated in that way? How would I, how would I relate to that? And being of clear mind, knowing, right? Knowing that the answer would be, that's not okay. When we get away from the kind of the compartmentalization of it, um, it's like, okay, if then that that's not okay for them, it must not be okay for anyone, right? If, if I'm walking any type of truth. So if I'm saying... You know, I wouldn't want someone to objectify my mother in the way, in, in, you know, then no woman should be objectified in that way. Well, it must be true for my mother or my sister or my friend should be true for everybody. And it's very important also intent, not because they're my mother, not because it's my sister. Like, I don't, I don't not that sense of ownership there, but simply because, you know, they're a person and they're entitled to the same protections and beliefs and comfortability as, as the people who are closest to me. And I should want that for everybody because, what begins to happen is if we don't have that ideal for everyone, the oppressor changes, right? And therefore those who are being oppressed changes. So like, if we don't want the same rights for women as, you know, specifically, you know, women of color more often than not, then what happens is like, you know, when we talk about intersectionality, intersectionality, like if it doesn't become a truly equal thing, then what happens when you have, you know, trans women, right? The oppressor changes. Um, So we have to want that same safety and security and that that freedom to be self for everyone because it's kind of like that old saying, you know, none of us win till we all win. And inequality has to be seen in that same way. Like none of us are free till we're all free. And if we're not free, and more specifically, what you're speaking of is I realized that as a cis male, I can walk throughout my life and hold my partner's hand and have a safety that women didn't have. Uh, and that for me, it was like, okay, things need to change. And I have a responsibility to be a part of that change. You bring up a really good point too. And I've always kind of thought about this of like, if you don't want the women in your life being, a, being treated a certain way, like, why would you go out of your way to treat someone that isn't your family that way, or someone that you might not love or might not know that well. 
And maybe that's just me being naive, but I've always wondered that because it's just like, it's, it's the easiest thing that you would think someone would like automatically think of, of like, okay, would I want my mom to be treated this way? Would I want my grandma, my best friend? But that's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Once people start having those aha moments, like you did. And, um, we actually have some really good questions from listeners. I'm really excited for some of these. Our first one is, have you lost friends and family because of the work that you're doing or the change of mindset that you've had? Um, is this something that I should expect when trying to do the right thing and change my mentality when it comes to feminism? I think that's asked in a very interesting way. I mean, I don't think I view it as lost. I think there's definitely, and I'm going to be honest here, there's, there's distance that's been created with some people. Uh, I, don't have to, I don't have to view it as, as a loss because, and this is why I'll, I'll use a very, a, a very real example so that we don't get like lost in hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. When I first started on this journey, one of my good friends that I had grew up with was just like, yeah, okay, whatever, bro. You're, you're going too far. But because I was the living example and he started to see like how we're responding to things or how our friendship had changed, right? Because patriarchy, what it does and toxic masculinity, what it does is it doesn't allow men to have access to their full range of emotions. So people say, okay, well, what does that do? That does a multitude of things, but more specifically to this situation, what it does is most of our relationships are surface level and they're transactional. Like there's no real depth to them. So being in that way and confine my masculinity in that way, like there was a real depth to my relationships, right? There was an openness that people can have with me and that I could have with them and that I would mirror. I would share certain things. I would share about, you know, not feeling confident in other areas or I would share what I was sad. So it gave them a template of what was possible. And by my friend just seeing that change, it encouraged him to change in certain areas of his life. And then he saw what was possible for him because he made that change. So it went from somebody who, again, like me, was completely like, bro, you're doing too much. You know, we were raised this way. This is what it is. And I don't know what, I don't know who I am outside of that. But then when they begin to see it, it it encouraged him to change in that way. And now we have a relationship that, you know, it's okay for me to call him and just be like, hey, I'm checking on you, bro. I wanted to tell you I love you. What's going on in your life? And because if we're being honest, men don't have a lot of places to do that, right? Like we don't really have the space to to say, oh, I'm comfortable saying I don't have this figured out. Um, You know, I want to, I want to, move jobs but because i'm not happy with where i'm at but i feel like if i do that i put my family in a position to not be financially secure and i don't have this figured out i'm not okay with that like you know we don't have many places we can do that and i think our mental health suffers because of that um but by him having the you know by us creating space to do that you know now he's got a support structure he has someone that's just like it's okay that you don't have it figured out it's okay that you feel vulnerable it's okay that you have fear about your financial security so it created it creates something different and and people men especially because we're so starved for it we can feel it and we can see it which is why those spaces feel different and even though society is telling us like you're not supposed to show up in that way when we get in spaces where we can show up in that way it's it's a relief um when i was walking throughout my life playing the part you know being the tough guy and you know feeling like i had to have you know control and be dominant and all that when i let that go there was a burden that felt like it was lifted and all the things that I thought were going to happen did not. So even if there is an initial space that's created, oftentimes you become closer. And then, you know, not to say that that won't happen every time. The question I would ask is, are some of those people that you might lose, you know, is, you know, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes the people in our life are, are keeping us from growing if they're holding on a certain belief system that are, are, are not beneficial or supportive of change, right? I noticed that even when I when I changed my life in other ways, like there were certain relationships that I had to let go in order for me to move forward. And I would encourage people to say, like, if that if that happens because you're 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 living in a way that's more equitable for everybody, like maybe those relationships needed to be let go. You need to be okay with. Right. And you said something that kind of stands up to stands out to me of um, when you were able to let go of these beliefs, you felt like a burden was taken off your shoulders. And I feel like I've heard that before. I've definitely heard people saying that um, having here, sorry, I've definitely heard men saying that. Um, And I have seen a lot of people that have gone through the success stories program, either on whichever social media, um, like on your guys' TikTok or Instagram. And that's something that I've heard multiple times too. Um, So I think that's, that's a really good thing for someone to kind of take away. Like if someone is 
out there struggling and, you know, already feels like that anxiety of having to keep up with the toxic masculinity and that kind of mindset. Um, I think it's very important to note that like a lot of people who have, you know, gone through the motions now feel that they don't have that burden on them anymore to be acting a certain way, um, which at the end of the day, doesn't seem authentic to themselves. So I think that's, that's really important to know. Someone had asked, people often talk about what they gain from toxic masculinity, but what did you lose? <laughs> it seems like obvious, but like, well, I lost my freedom. Listen, there's people often be like, oh, well, I'll say it this way. I went to prison because, I, you know, I was being, I was being fully immersed in toxic masculinity. So, and I want to be clear so people can have an idea. Toxic masculinity is typically summed up in four principles. And that is our willingness to be violent, the objectification of women, um, judging us on our ability to be an earner, like uh, money, having the most money. And, you know, this, this idea that men are emotionless, right? Like that's typically the template that we're given. And from a very young age, if, if you look, most young boys are really expressive until their culture tells them that they should not be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that starts, I would say it starts around like three or four which you start seeing, like, you start hearing terms like man up, don't cry. And, and I know that often, you know, people say, like, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing inherently toxic about men, which that's true. But if my judgment of another man, because he chooses not to fight, I then say, oh, he's not a man, that's toxic. You know, we can, and we can avoid, we can enjoy brutal sports, you know, boxing is two consenting people getting into a ring and boxing, that's cool. But if someone's unwilling to do that or doesn't like boxing and I'm somehow saying that they're less than that, you know, that's toxic. So because I grew up with that typically, like, you know, I remember hearing one of the first questions I used to get asked if I got into a fight is, did you win? Right. It's not what was the fight about? How could we have gone about this a different way? Why didn't you talk it out? Like it wasn't like any of the pro-social things that like, well, let's get to the root of what the problem was. It was like, did you win? So because I embraced those principles so fully in my life, you know, look, that resulted in me being sentenced to 32 years of life as a 22-year-old man, which started, you know, a chain of loss. I harmed my community. I subjected, you know, people to unimaginable violence. I had people question whether or not their community was safe. I There's, you know, trauma that was on my own family, you know. You know, my parents lost their son, my nephews lost their uncle, my brother lost his brother, you know, like there, th- that was a, it was a multitude of loss, you know, not to mention that I lost myself, you know, the, the caring, gregarious, self-proclaimed funny guy that I was, <laughs> was gone because I felt like, you know, that wasn't what society required of me, right? Like I couldn't, I couldn't walk into a room when I was feeling overwhelmed and feel the freedom uh, to even if you know to express that because you know we we were expected to figure it out you know the kind of like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get your shit together uh, and and that's how I carried myself even though I was struggling internally I would have never asked for help why because you know society told me that I didn't do that mm-hmm. it was figured out right and and typically if we're being you know people say well it's not you know people ask out for help all the time if we really look at when we're telling someone to man up, when are the circumstances we're really telling someone to do that, right? Typically, it's when when we're showing that we don't have it figured out or we need help or we're being vulnerable. Uh, and that's what creates that type. So yeah, I mean, I lost a lot. And, that, and I don't even want to be self-centered in it because the loss isn't just my, just my loss. When we start to talk about what you lose because of toxic masculinity, society, our society loses too. Our, our environments lose. Our communities lose. Even when we talk about our ability to like deal with conflict right like we're losing that we're outsourcing our ability to deal with conflict so then what results from that now we have police violence and you know state dependency and stuff like that so yeah the losses it's immeasurable really yeah and I think too you mentioned kind of like how young it starts um when family members or people are telling young men to grow up or to man up or not, not cry. to cry. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. And it's kind of crazy too. Cause I think like in the moment, I think 
family members and people who are saying this don't realize that the, what the long-term effects of saying that is, because when you're saying it to a child, it's probably something that's really small. It's probably something that doesn't really matter too much. Um, but how that translates into their adult life has huge, has a huge impact. Um, so I think that's something to really know and to kind of be careful sure. for when you're speaking to young kids. Cause like for me, I used to work at a preschool and like, I remember, you know, these are young children that are super impressionable. So you have to be very like mindful of the things that you tell them. So I, you know, and having nephews, it's, you know, I, I need to make sure that even myself, I, I need to be wary of like the things that I'm telling them. It's but a great we, example of how much patriarchy is embedded in our culture, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why when I, when I talk about responsibility, like the reason that it's so embedded in our culture and it's succeeded and it's still happening is because we, we are playing a part and which is why these conversations are important because as long as we're having conversations in success stories, as long as we're having conversations in podcasts, as long as we're having conversations in our homes, like we can start to investigate and point out that, right? Like, mm-hmm. why are we saying that? Where does that come from, right? And then we can start to be cognizant of where else are we seeing that? Because it's not just there. I mean, let's look at, it's getting a little better, but in entertainment, but let's look at the people and the example that we see in our music. What do we see in our movies? Like, what are the templates that we're giving our young men about what it means to be a man even in that? Mm -hmm. Um, And if we're not having this conversation, those type of, we don't see it, right? It just continues to happen. It becomes status quo. It goes from culture to culture. It's one of those things like, you don't do that. And it's like, well, why don't I do that? No one ever stops to think like, boys don't cry clearly we do yeah i'm crying like you know what i'm saying and then (laughs) it's like why are we asking our young men not to be human right and then not expecting that to be detrimental down the line Mm -hmm. we're asking them to deny aspects of themselves and then we under we don't understand why they're acting not like themselves like okay well we created this by the culture that we support by by not you know putting ourselves in a position to allow our, our men and young men to be, to be fully human. Yeah. And I, I definitely know that, you know, there is a conversation, um, when it does come to feminism of not only giving men the space to explore their emotions, but kind of giving them that space and like the safety of it. Cause I think for women, traditionally, you're not used to seeing men show their emotions or say certain things. And so that conversation itself, even for women has to, has to happen because it's like, okay, let's make sure that the men in our lives feel safe coming to us and exploring those emotions and telling us how they feel. We have the next question that totally is something that I can relate to um, of generational trauma and norms of what your family does to you. And this next question, it says, I'm from a traditional Mexican family where the machista mentality is generational and passed down. How can I help break that cycle when I have generations of people I love and care about who think differently than me? And like, I can even relate to this coming from a traditional Mexican family and constantly hearing the men in my life being told to be a man, like, and the traditional values of what a man should supposedly look like. So what do you have to say to that question? It's deep and there's a lot there. It's one of those things, what I appreciate that is that machismo is machista. It's a real, it's a very real, like we can see that in other cultures, but I love it like names it in a way that you Mm -hmm. can feel it. And even in my own home. So like, but the way that I showed up in my house was my dad really was about, you know, the three P's. His, he felt his job was to protect, to provide and punish. And I think that when we look at other cultures of men, like that's what they're thinking, right? Like, look, your job is to do this, this, that, that's that. Outside of that, don't do, don't show those other things. And the, what I found helpful, again, was to just kind of question because it, it did things to them that they don't like, right? Um, I think a lot of times when you when you really look at it, like they didn't like that they had to uphold that either, right? Mm-hmm. So you start to ask them like, okay, how did, you know, we need to investigate, like how did that work out for the people in our life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, more specifically, I used to ask my dad about his relationship with his father. And it was through those conversations. Like I asked my dad, how old were you when you left home? And I think my dad, he lied about his age and joined the Navy to, to get out. It was that serious. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, why? And he was like, well, my dad was this, my dad was this, my dad was that. Why? And it basically, it came down to this type of idea. Like his whole relationship with his father was based upon the idea 
of you must act this way as a man and anything else outside of that, I'm going to curb. And if I have to use violence or withdraw myself or be distant in a way in order for you to get that, then I will do that at all costs. And I'm like, all right, well, do you want us to have that relationship? And of course the answer is no. So it takes like real work, but sometimes it's just questioning, like why? Mm-hmm. You know, what 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 real advantage did this have for the tough guy in our community? Because we know likely what the result is for that, right? Mm-hmm. Likely the result is what? Jail time. Mm-hmm. For anybody who's truly being a tough guy, likely you're going to see, you know, prison. And that's not helping our communities anyway. Uh, when we're saying... You know, and when we look at the connections, like if to be a man means to like, like, what, what do you mean by that? To get clear, like, what do you mean? And then ask, like, I, I, there was a real powerful point when we were doing some teachings and they were talking about like men are providers. Okay. So if a man is in a situation where he can't provide because it's a, an ability thing or a disability thing or whatever, is he no longer a man? And then like people were having questions like, well, well no, that's not what we're saying. And it's different. Like it's again, now we're going back to integrity about being the same person all the time and what's good for one, what's good for other. And then people will eventually get to the idea that we don't get our value from our gender identity. We get our value from being who we are. Mm -hmm. And when we're fully immersed in something, we're not even immersed in it with our gender identities, right? Like when I was fully immersed in playing sports, I wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm the dopest man playing. It's like, no, I'm just playing the sport. Uh, and I think we need to do that in our relationships, right? Like that dynamic of I'm a man and I'm going to put on this tough exterior because my culture tells me to do it at the detriment of everyone around me, right? We just really need to question that. And 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 then have our have our sisters and moms and and everybody have the courage to speak up about what that what that's doing to them. And I think we're in a very like pivotal time too, just like within generations that I'm actually really like proud and excited about is the fact that I think younger generations are now kind of being more vocal in breaking cycles. And unfortunately, we're just in the middle of that. So I think for someone who might be going through this, like sometimes breaking those general generational curses and those traumas are so hard and it will really break someone down but like it is for the betterment of you and your future and like the legacy that you leave behind so I think that's probably something to really take away from because like these things are hard and it's not easy for anyone but doing it like you're doing it for your future you're doing it if you decide to have kids down the line those are things that I think about often and you know it's it might not be easy for you to do it yourself but it's it's for the betterment of your future I would even I would even say like Toxic masculinity is hard. Things are going to be hard no matter how we look at it. So why don't, why, like, let's go through the difficulty for something that matters. Like, so for me, I won't speak, but when you talk about the culture that you were talking about, the traditional Mexican culture that you were talking about, right? Was that, like, I'm assuming that there was a lot of aspects of that that were not easy. You know, you've seen certain things that you didn't like, not only you, but I'm just, you know, your male, the male counterparts in your life, they were going through things that probably made them feel sort of type of way. Like none of that was easy. In fact, often it's not only difficult, but it's traumatic. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if we're willing to suffer these things for something that is not serving us, why not, you know, deal with a little difficulty and hardness in order to create communities and to create uh, situations that serve us, right? Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, that example it will just be like the same way we mirror toxic things, we can mirror the good because now it makes something possible that we didn't really see as possible, right? Uh, if I wouldn't have been that mirror, uh, you know, for my friends and my dad, me and my dad would have never got to this point if I would just be like, oh, this is gonna be too hard. He's never gonna see it the way that I see it. But we just continue to have conversations. I continue to show up in a certain way. It hurt, like it was, it was hard for me to be like, hey, Pop, when you do this, this is how it makes me feel. Because he shut down initially, right? Like, I don't hear. Like, I don't want to hear that. It's like, okay, I understand that you don't want to hear, but I'm just, I'm letting you know. But that planted a seed in his mind where he had to be like, okay, I'm thinking about it. And then it took, it also wasn't immediate. Like, this wasn't something that happened in six months. This was two or three years later down the line, we finally got to a point. And it happened, like, in a way that I wasn't prepared for. He just began to open up about certain things. When I used to talk to him about his father when I was a kid, he didn't openly talk about that, but it, it just, it happens little by little. 
And, and, you know, we have to allow that because we should be mindful that people are only operating from the handbook that they have, right? And who are also have suffered trauma because of that. So toxic, you know, when we're working through, working through these toxic masking beliefs or we're working through patriarchy and we're finding out new things, we also should have this vision about healing. Healing is part of it. Uh, and as we allow the space for one another to heal, and we all know that people have to heal in their own times, like that is what we're doing. We should see it as a healing and transformative thing, not as like a social political thing or a political education course or like, you know, this one, you know, we don't want to make it like a politic or anything like that, at least not in our family conversations, but we can see it as an avenue for healing um, and have and really look at it from that way and have it, the, the discussion from that way. Like, how can we get us to a point to where this is beneficial for us because, you know, such and such is suffering because of that. Yeah, and, and I think it's, I mean, that is something important to talk about too, as, as far as like, you can't necessarily be mad at someone with the way that they were raised or kind of like the situation that they were into, but you can kind of do your part as far as breaking cycles and kind of coming from a place of healing and having those conversations with people. Um, and again, it's never going to be easy, but it's, it's definitely worth it. Um, and I think this is like a great question too, is how can moms or guardians teach their sons to be allies to women? Through conversation and language, you know, and examples much in the same way I said, you know, in success stories where the way that we're allies is having conversations with men to, to show like how we may be creating environments where, where women don't feel safe. And you can do that even within your homes, right? Like when we, when we remove, I think the one that comes up for me is the young boys, like people say, uh, you throw like a girl. Well, what is, what is the implication when someone says that, that you throw like a girl? Like, so we can start to remove that type of language because what we're actually teaching our young men is that women are less capable when we say that. Or, you know, don't be like language is important. And I think that they can use examples as well. So when we're seeing it happen in real time, address it. So the same way which we were talking about earlier, that the example of like if somebody would have said something in a moment, that would have been more powerful. This We have to do the same thing for our kids. Moment, There's teachable moments where we can say, you know, see, when this happens, that's not OK. And it's not OK for these reasons. And I think that that, that really is the avenue that we can use from an early standpoint to get our kids to consider different possibilities, to look at things, right? It shifts the paradigm when we're not, when we're not discussing things in that way. So I think that the way that, you know, women can be allies for, for their sons is to do that. Also, it's to fight against, it's to fight against the, you know, the status quo. Like I said, when you, when you were mentioning, oh, I think it's just the way that it is. Sometimes even we're like, don't do this or don't do that. Or women get uncomfortable when men cry. Like, let's not do that. Like, let's see it as a human emotion mm-hmm. and try to get to the root of the problem and go from there and encourage them to ask for help when they need it. Encourage them to be vulnerable. Encourage them to like, to have like emotional intelligence. Encourage mm-hmm. them to identify, like not have their identity wrapped up in this cultural norm of what, like you know what I mean like when we're doing that when we're encouraging that and getting people to realize when we're getting to getting rid of uh, this way that we objectify people within our own homes like that's this first small step right so I think that that's a way that we can help right and and I think it's all about teachable moments I think that's that was a great way to put it how can we help men see their worth without seeking validation independent from what other men do Mm, that's difficult because I think that people have to begin to see their own value um, it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, well, how do how do I help you? I think that the powerful point uh, that I see with this question is we can help by not devaluing somebody, right? So I I, <laughs> I seen an interview the other day and they were asking a woman about how do they feel about men who make less money than they do, and the hierarchy that was established was oh, well, you know, that they're less of a man if that is the case. And like that type of devaluing is, are things that we need to look out for. And and also as men, right, we need to do the same thing. So like earlier when I was given the sports analogy, it's okay that I love sports and it's okay no matter what the sport is. But if as a man, I'm seeing other men who don't like sports and I'm devaluing them for that, it's like, hmm, uh, so I think that we need to be clear on how we're showing up in our relationships uh, and that we're not giving patriarchy a longer arm 
but more of a reach, right? Like we need to start like taking some of the of that back because what happens is even if it's minuscule in the time, it's still reinfor- it's reinforcing that belief, right? Mm-hmm. Like so if we're doing little things and say, oh yep, you didn't do this, so we don't value you as a man. It's like it may seem little, but it's still an- it's another reinforcement. Like, see, and it's hard. That question's hard because mm-hmm. it's not on it's not women's responsibility to make a man feel like more like a man. So I'm trying to like be careful with the language, but I know what's being asked. Like, well, how can we help? Like, I think the investigation of how we're playing into patriarchy is the answer to that. Like be cognizant. Are there certain ideas that I have that I got from patriarchy? Because, you know, it's important to remember that it's different. Men are repressed by patriarchy. Women are oppressed. So even though men are repressed by patriarchy, there's still a power dynamic and we get something from it, mm-hmm. right? Like there's something that we get from it that women don't. So that's why to act, to like put the responsibility on women like that, that's not something that I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood. But yeah, I think we just need to be cautious about what patriarchal cultural rules are we reinforcing uh, with our beliefs and our actions um, that are devaluing the men in our lives. And when we see what part we're playing, that we can identify that and change that. Yeah, if that makes yeah. sense, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it does. And I, I think too, it's like not assuming that one man's view of being a man or um, his values are your own. I think that maybe no. that, you know, that's a huge thing too, of like, you know, learning your worth and going from there and like knowing your own morals and values. And I think, and if a man comes, if a different person comes and has different views in you, that's okay. That you don't have to go off of what they're doing for that validation. I think that's, that's a good way to kind of think of it. So too. wonderfully put it, right? So like the idea of this is it's like taking the power. We're taking our power back, right? The idea is that you define what man it is for you. Like, that's the idea. Like you, you define that it should not be because what happens is right now we're living like the beach ball kind of life, right? Like the wind is just blowing us because cultural says that this is what this is. So you're just getting blown by the wind. It's like, oh, okay, well, and it, that feels helpless, which is some of those feelings that are tied to that. And it feels like life is just happening to you. But when you have this mind frame, like, wait a minute, I define what masculine, what my masculinity is. Now you've, you've taken the reins. You're in now creative control and you're like you're in this position of power that you didn't have before because something else was dictating you, how you were showing up instead of you dictating how you show up and yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely like I think that people should define how I show up for people and and my masculinity is going to be different Mm -hmm. than how my friend shows up or how my father shows up but it's just making sure that we're not showing up in ways that is um, devaluing people for who they are just because it doesn't match ours absolutely that was a wonderful way to put it yeah exactly um and our last question from one of our listeners how has feminism changed your life I do not have long enough for that. <laughs> so one, and I no longer, I no longer live in a way that disposes of human beings. Two, I live in a way that considers the collective, regardless of regardless if we have like the same ideologies. Like I may think the way that I think, you may think the way that you think, but that doesn't mean that you're entitled to anything less than what I'm entitled to. Like, I think before my view was either you're with me or against me. So like, if you didn't have the same belief system, like I inherently seen you as an enemy, which I think patriarchy does because it creates a hierarchical and it has this thing like, this is right, everything else is wrong. Right. Um, so it's changed that. Um, it's again, when I talked about like the depths of relationships, it's, I think it's allowed me to love in a, in a truer sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made me a better partner to my wife. Um, it for sure has made me a better father. It's, it's made me a better community member, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because I'm living in a way that says like, hey, if there's anybody who is in a position and there's something that I can do to help it, I have the responsibility to, to do so. And before, I, I would have never have looked at it in that way. Uh, because when we're talking about advocating for equal rights on the, you know, you know, on the basis of sex, and for me, it's a little bit further than that. It's, you know, uh, advocating for the equal rights of everybody, regardless of whatever identities. It's allowed me to like really be involved and cautious in a way, right? I know that I have certain things that I have to change about myself, right? I'm, it also is giving me forgiveness. I'm not perfect. But 
I have to hold myself accountable. Um, and when I say things that, you know, to do, to do some investigation and to, to educate myself in a way to see where I have, you know, may, where I may have some shortcomings. Um, and all that is in the spirit of making sure that I am not the one who is being, you know, oppressive by the way in which I use my language or the way in which I walk, you know, throughout my daily life. Um, and none of that would have happened uh, without this that view change and without me being clear on what, what, what it means to be a feminist. I think that's really exciting when you said like you can now you can be a better partner, you can be a better dad. Um, and so like that right there just shows like you're going to be able to pass down these new views and these new set of values to your kids. And that's really where like the progress starts. It's where like it, you're really starting to change the cycle and break those cycles. So that's really exciting. And I'm excited for your family and I'm excited for like the legacy that you're leaving. And is, is there anything that you would like to say to people specifically men um, who don't understand the importance of feminism or escaping the toxic norms that they're used to? Yeah, I would say investigate. Investigate what you believe, right? Find out where it came from. Really investigate what it's doing to you. Um, think about what's possible for your life if you're willing to change some of that. And like, especially like with feminism, right? Feminism gets a bad rap. A lot of times it comes up and people, they like want to stop talking the minute you bring it up. But that's I, I, what I found in my experiences is that's because most people don't know what it is. And some of that's because of history of it, like, right, when we start getting into, like, classical feminism and then, you know, like, but we, we don't get any clear on that if we're not doing homework, right? And it's our responsibility to do so. So I would say educate yourself, right? Uh, make sure that you get in a position to where you know what's what. Um, and when it comes to toxic norms, right, like asking, truly ask yourself, how's that serving you? Uh, if I walk into a room and believe that the only way that I can achieve any type of power is to be dominant, and like, how's that working out for you? Um, if I have to walk throughout my life being, um, you know, emotionlessness or reacting in a way where my value is determined upon how, you know, how much money I can make or, or my objectification of women are being dominant in that way, like, how's that working out for you? And be honest about it. So I, I think that that's what I would do. And if there's someone who's listening who feels stuck in a toxic situation, whether that be with a family member, a friend, or a partner, what would your advice be to them? Someone who's on the other side of it. So someone who's uh, on the other side of uh, somebody else's toxic behavior. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a distance. Maybe I would say one one state. You know, state your need. Uh, I think it's important for people to make sure that. You know, there's a like boundary setting uh, for you to be clear on what you're okay with and what you're not. And if those boundaries are not being respected, then then space and hold, you know, accountability, like build some pods, like let's make sure that we can do it in a way so we're not disposable of the person who may be causing harm, but make sure that we can hold them accountable and have conversations in which like the safety needs of the person who are being or subjected to toxic behavior are being met but while also acknowledging that there may be things that the person who is causing harm needs as well in order to transform their behavior. Yeah, and I, th- I think the one of the main things too is like when it comes to patriarchal beliefs and toxic masculinity, knowing that the problem isn't you. There's a way bigger picture. And so I think that that could probably be a good way to kind of think about it too. Are there any obstacles or mistakes that you've made during your journey, even through success stories that others can learn from? Sure, I think that, in true patriarchal form, when I started on this journey, I thought I had to have it all figured out. And that was causing insurmountable like stress because I was in this, I felt like, oh, don't have this misstep. And it's okay. Like, again, it's the reason for our alumni program, right? Like, you don't have to have it all figured out. Um, you're going to make mistakes. You're, you're, you're going to be nearsighted on some things. You're going to like, that's okay. We have things to learn and be open to learning. Right. So when people hold you accountable for your language or your behavior, like um, I think in our culture, we get defensive because we're somehow our identities are somehow tied to our position. And, uh, and we don't need to do that. Like just because someone is saying like, hey, you, you may need to consider this. You showed up in this way. That doesn't mean that somehow you're not less than because of that. It's, it just means that you need to hear what's being said to you and then really consider like is there a change that needs to be made uh and early on I, I was 
I didn't want to make those mistakes because I didn't want my journey to be seen as like unbelievable, right? Um, but expecting people to walk around and be to be perfect and to have everything figured out is is not realistic, and, and it's it's not loving. Um, so yeah, be willing one, be willing to make mistakes, but be willing to hear people when they're holding you accountable for your mistakes kind of receiving feedback that's it's it's a huge part of it and it's hard for everybody but is there a story from either yourself or someone who went through the success stories program that really resonated with you oh there are so many I think that you know there there was an individual who was subjected to sexual abuse uh, for you know the majority of their young life patriarchy even though he was subjected to that type of harm made him it put him in another prison because it said that he didn't share that and I think for me that was so powerful in the sense that I think a lot of us do that like I think a lot of us imprison ourselves because we say oh well I'm not supposed to speak out about this or this should if if this is happening to me that somehow means that I'm not a man or if this is happening to me, that means that I did something wrong or I was in the wrong position. And it really opened my eyes about how we look at a lot of things, um, especially when we're talking about even in the treatment of women, right? Like even though this is a male participant, I'm sharing about what's happening to him. It made me reflect on how other victims of sexual violence are immediately not believed, Mm -hmm. right? Because of certain circumstances. And it made me really look at that like, okay, where does that come from? So I think that that story on so many levels really woke me up to how, again, embedded this system is not only like in us, it's in our justice system, it's in the way, it's in our medical system. And you spoke about corporate companies, it's in, it's in all of that, right? And it informs not only how like we act in our day-to-day lives, but it informs our systems. And that's why I think that we need to dismantle it because it's not conducive of anything that's giving to people. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It turns people into products. It turns people into objects. Um, and it really isn't concerned about people, mm-hmm. which is scary. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. Um, and our last question for you, um, what is the best thing that you've learned or have taken away from the success stories program? I, I would say this, the best thing that I've learned is that, that the power lies within me to create the reality that I want, right? Um, that I'm completely capable of creating the existence that I want. And that, that, that determination is not made by anybody outside of me. And that in turn has allowed me to have the community impact that I wanted to have it's changed my personal relationships like with my father like that aspect of like I don't have to look to somebody outside of myself to define who I am as an individual and uh, live the life that I want to live is is has been life-giving some of the things and goals that I set while I was I was in prison I was incarcerated at the time serving a life sentence and the system would have had me believe that that, that was going to be my existence forever. But because I got involved in success stories and other programs like it to where I was able to like really think through what I wanted, it created a different reality for me. And, and I'm able to live that reality out. It keeps happening, right? Um, people, it went from people not wanting to hear us to being willing to hear us. Some people weren't willing to hear us in the beginning and then they get halfway through and they talk about how it's changed their life so to be a part of that on a continual basis is life-giving within itself so I think that that is just it's a power that keeps giving it's wonderful to be a part of it and is there are there any opportunities for people to get involved in success stories as far as like volunteering donating tell us where we can find um, any social media for anything that you want our listeners to know about success stories Sure. Um, yeah, you can either, I would say that you can visit us at successstoriesprogram.org. Um, that's our website. And we actually have a volunteer list because we understand that there's ways that people want to get back. You can also donate on that page. And so there's many ways to get involved. You can see it on there. We have our TikTok is at Prison Feminism. Same as our IG is at Prison Feminism. Um, where you'll see most of our posts and you can see how we get involved if there's virtual workshops coming up or it's also a way for people to reach out for us and to tell us 
if there's other areas that we haven't thought about that our program would be useful in, that you can reach out to us and we can see how we can make that happen. Or again, just make sure that you know we're having these conversations and we're really being mindful about how this idea of patriarchy and toxic masculinity is affecting our, our culture and our communities. Um, so yeah, I think it's awesome. I think that, again, it's a community thing, right? And it's gonna take all of us to create this new future that we want and to get away from this punishment culture um, and for people to like really be able to redefine what masculinity is and for us to show up in a way that's healing and, and, and helpful to those around us. So if there's things that, again, if there's things we haven't considered, like let's work together in order to do it. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I am so happy that you were our first male guest. Success stories I saw on TikTok, I think before I even started girl.gov. Um, and I think what you guys are doing is amazing. You guys are making such a huge impact on so many people. And I think too, like women can use any allies we can get. And I think again, what you guys are doing will create a huge change. I can just feel it, but thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, so much for having me. Thanks Manny. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.